You're listening to Answering Difficult Questions Biblically, a Sunday school series taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Question number nine, and this question is uh, similar to the question we had last week, or at least along the same lines. Um, and the question is, what are your views on the LGBTQ plus community movement? Um, and the question or the person who writes the question goes on and writes like a whole page. Um, and I won't, I won't read the whole page, but they're wondering, for one, how should they reconcile gender pronouns and, and, and whether they should be using gender pronouns um, if others, you know, at their workplace or the school or wherever asked to be called by something that they biologically are not. Um, And then they express the desire to set a good example to other Christians who seem very angry and judgmental toward the LGBTQ community. So so they're saying, I don't know how to reconcile like what the Bible says on this and how I'm supposed to act on this. And also I see Christians over here who seem really mean and angry and I don't know how to like teach them and show them a better example on how they should behave. They also express a desire to share Jesus with them, um, but they're not sure how to go about it. Okay, so it's a really good, long question. And I first I want to establish uh, biblically what the Bible considers sinful sexual behavior. Okay, what is, what is sinful sexual behavior according to the Bible? Uh, and it would be all sexual behavior outside of God's design for human sexuality, which is between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. So that's, that's our basis. Rather than having to describe this as sinful and this as sinful and this as bad and, you know, like, let's just go through the whole gamut, we can just say this is what's good. This was God's design, man and woman in the covenant of marriage. That's God's plan for human sexuality. And so that's what's good. And everything outside of that plan misses the mark and is therefore sin. And so we come to the question of homosexuality in particular. Um, and, and remember, Satan, he, he takes everything that's good and he twists it. Now, I was talking to a lady this week and she was mentioning how there's, there's something wrong with a, a, a prayer meeting. And it was because sometimes prayer meetings can be places where gossip occurs. And I agree wholeheartedly that gossip sometimes occurs in prayer meetings, which is unfortunate, but true. But does that mean we should cease having all prayer meetings? Well, no, because they're good things. It's what the church is called to do, to gather together, to read the word, and to pray together. So prayer meetings are wonderful things. So everything that's good can be twisted for evil, and that is true of human sexuality. And so homosexuality is sin according to the Bible, We won't have time to deal with all of the recent arguments against um, the traditional understanding of what the scriptures say. So I'll just give you what the scriptures say, and then if you have additional questions, you should write them down, put them in, and we'll get to those in particular. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, and we've, we've read Romans 1 in a couple of these lessons already, but these are people who exchange the truth of God for lie. That's where it starts. They worship and serve the creation more than the creator. And then it says in verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even likewise their men, leaving the natural use of women, burn in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. 
And it's pretty clear, men with men, even women leaving their natural use of what's against nature, uh, clearly Paul understands homosexual behavior to be uh, not God's plan and to be sinful. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, he's actually talking to believers here. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. So he actually is talking about different sexual sins here. And he says, none of those things ultimately will receive the kingdom of God. But what he says in, in the light of this is, such were some of you. But you have been washed and saved. And, and so you've come to know Christ. You've received forgiveness. And, and so he lumps all the people, all of us, who participate in some kind of sexual sin. And he says... These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he takes that entire group of people and says, but the people who are forgiven used to be that, right? So he's putting all of us in the same group. And then all of those who are saved are saved from this group, which is pretty neat. First Timothy 1.9, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane. So this is the, the, the context that he then lists homosexuality under lawless, insubordinate, ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane. Goes on and says, for murderers of fathers and mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites. All right, so if we look at the New Testament, it's very clear. This is what happens quite often. And certainly if we look at the Old Testament, we know this is clear too. We'll see that in a second. But what happens quite often is people will say, yes, but Jesus never condemned homosexuality. This is Paul's idea, but we don't find it in the red letters in the New Testament. And I would argue that I think we do. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in verse, chapter 2, verse 24, he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So he is making it very clear there um, that this is how God made them, male and female. And his plan for male and female is for the men to leave their family and cleave to their wife and they become one flesh. This is God's plan for marriage. Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Okay? We can go through many places in the law and find that it is a, a sinful behavior for men to lie with men and for women to lie with women. So, with that understanding, we, we have to realize that the Israelites that Jesus walked this planet with already knew what was considered proper and right sexual behavior and what was an abomination, what was wrong, what, what was outside of God's plan. So, when Jesus says anything against fornication that is any sexual behavior that is not between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, when he says the word fornication, they recognize that to be all of the sinful behavior that has before been listed as sexual sin or fornication, right? So he did not have to condemn one type of specific sexuality, uh, abomination, uh, sexual sin, above another. He didn't have to start listing all of like bestiality. He didn't need to go through an entire list. He just had to say fornication. They all understood what that meant because they all knew what the law of God already taught. So when he says, he answered and said to them in Matthew 19, 4, 
Have you not read what he who has made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What he's doing there is he's commending, he's agreeing with the creation account of God's plan for marriage, man and woman in the context of marriage. So he's, he's already there. And then in Matthew 15, 19, he says, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. He's, he's listing sins that come from your heart. One of those sins is fornications. Jesus did this a number of times while he walked the planet. He condemned fornication. And again, that would be a condemnation of all of what the Jews understood to be sexual behavior that was outside the law. So what Jesus didn't say is that this is worse than any other sin. And that's certainly what we ought not say, that somehow homosexuality is the worst sin and then all of our sexual sins fall somewhere below that. That's a horrible, wrong idea to come to. Um, It's unique in our culture, this issue, because uh, we're dealing with a culture that that is, it's not agreeing with what the Bible teaches on the subject. Now, most of our culture would agree that theft is wrong that it's sinful, you should not steal. And most of our culture would agree that murder is wrong, that you should not murder, okay? I recognize that abortion is a different issue, um, but it is murder. So when when we come to this topic, we're dealing with a culture who says, you say this is wrong, but you're wrong. What you're saying is evil. It, this behavior is absolutely okay and should be celebrated. And that's why I think the church feels like we're butting up against, and maybe the culture thinks we talk about homosexuality all the time, and we don't talk about, you know, divorce, or we don't talk about um, adultery. You know, like, but it's because most people agree that adultery is sin, right? We should. Um, and, and this is the area where it seems like there's a, there's a battle, okay? So coming back to the question, how do we handle that battle as believers? And I think that the truth is here, and, and this is why it's different, difficult, and this is why we sometimes get it wrong, that within the church, we need to be absolutely clear what God's plan is, what God's law is. We cannot fudge the truth. We can't move from where the truth is just because it's unpopular in our, our culture. Uh, we need to celebrate God's plan. It should be celebrated. It's a good plan. And so... Within the church, and when I say that, I don't mean like you don't take that, but, but as believers, we need to stand firmly on the, the plan of God. We also need to ensure that as we, the church, goes out into a world, that we are sensitive and kind and loving, that we are attempting to be uh, winsome, to bring people to Christ, to not turn them away unnecessarily. And so this is not, like, the church needs to stand firm firm on this truth, but this is not the message that we have for the world. We don't go into the world and, and wear on our backs homosexuality is sin. We wear on our backs Jesus saves sinners like me. And that's the message we bring to the world, and that's, that, that's how, what we should be focusing on. And so when you encounter people who understand differently than you, recognize that everybody you encounter is a sinner. 
And so you're, you're saying, well, I don't know what to do in this situation with this particular sin. And I would say, well, step back a little bit and first think, how do you treat sinners generally? Recognizing that all people disagree with something the Bible says. Okay. And so how are you going to treat them? Well, you're going to try and love them. You're going to tell them that, that they're a sinner and that you're a sinner and that all sinners can be saved by the blood of Christ. Okay. It doesn't mean that you're going to like do everything you possibly can to avoid the topic. I just think that you don't need to focus on the topic. You don't need to bring it up. You don't need to be the one that's, you know, chanting. You don't need to go to a parade that's against homosexuality, right? That, that the Westboro Baptist thing is a whole bad thing because they're just not representing what Christianity is all about. So, uh, how do we handle people... Um, in our culture who believe differently. You speak the truth in love. That's, if you can remember that phrase, if, if you take truth out of it, then you've lost the love. You can't actually have true love without truth as a believer. And if you take the love out of it, then you end up like Westboro. You end up harsh and cruel and unkind. And yes, you have the truth, but you're using it to beat people. That's not what it's for. And so you put those things together, truth and love, and then attempt to live out your faith, okay? So then we get to maybe some of the more difficult questions to sort out. What do you do about gender pronouns? And again, I think that within the church, with people who call themselves believers, uh, that would be probably an issue that you'd want to talk to an, a fellow believer about. If they decided that, hey, listen, I want to be called by something other than who God made me to be, then I would, I would want to have that conversation with them, especially if you're their friend. Um, and I don't think that would be a place where I would celebrate something other than what God created. Uh, when you're in the world, that's where it's, it's quite difficult because sometimes the truth is you don't even know, right? You're not, you're not certain. Um, and so I don't think that like it's, it's your job to try to find out the truth of what you should be calling them by their uh, physiological appearance. Um, I don't think that, that you need to sort all of those things out uh, sometimes it's very obvious, and in those cases, uh, I would do everything I can to avoid having to call them a pronoun. I would call them by their name as often as possible. Um, and you know, if they, I don't know, I don't know if 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 you called them by the wrong pronoun, and they called you out on it, uh, I I think that the response might be, um, I'm. Sorry that I offended you. Um, I will, from this point on, try and call you by your name. You know, that's, that's a, a good enough way to go. I don't think that, that like, challenging them on that is going to help bring them to Jesus. Right? It's, they're, they're, they're starting that fight because they want to get you in trouble. And I don't think taking the bait is the right play in that circumstance. Jacques? What if they change their name? Well, again, I'd be wondering if this person is a part of the church family, if they call themselves a believer, uh, or if it's somebody in the world. Because ultimately, everybody in the world, their greatest need is Jesus, not to, to switch their name back, right? And, and what, ha- what, what we're meant to do is bring people to Christ and then let him work on them, right? He changes their heart. The woman that comes to Christ and, and she's told, um, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. That's kind of like the bring them to Christ and let him work on them. So... Uh, if they've if they've changed their name, yeah, I, 
That's a good question. Um, I think that within that, you have to exercise a lot of wisdom in the circumstance. Like, did you find later on that they changed their name? Have you already always known them as this? Um, that's really tough. Yeah. Okay, Agatha and then Riley. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Agatha, I wish you this was all on because that was well said. But um, Agatha works with somebody in that situation, and, and her advice is to just really focus on loving them and treating them with dignity and respect and kindness and all of those things. And I think that's very true. I think that what should happen, and, and here's um, Jenny Morrison was once in a situation where it was an old classmate that, that came out and then talked to her about it and said, it was kind of like was challenging her on it. And her response to the person was, listen, like, you know that I don't agree with your decision, but I still love you. And so it was kind of like, listen, I, I can't affirm uh, the decision that you've made, but I can affirm that I still love you, that Jesus still loves you, that he died for you, that like all of those things are, are true. And so if you, tr- if you have someone that you're working with and that person might not like your view what you think is truth, but they should be able to say, but there's nobody that I work with that's kinder to me every, you know, in every other aspect. And if, if you show that, then I think that, that says a lot. I think it, because what Agatha said too is, is really good. We often think like we, you meet somebody, doesn't matter what their sin is, if they're embroiled deeply in some kind of sin, we just assume that they're like, the worst evil, wicked rebels out there. And you don't know all of the life circumstance and all of the hurt that might have led them to continue down this path. And and maybe it's just God's grace that you didn't go down the exact same path, right? And so keep that in mind too. And don't just assume the absolute worst of everyone. Yes? We are slaves to sin. Yes, all of us. Yeah, and that's a great way of looking at it. If you can can view it that way, that they're trapped they're slaves to that sin. Gender specific as certainly in the world we live in today, they're not. Yes. So now name name doesn't doesn't often imply gender. Okay, that's that's a great point. Um, I think that probably if it's somebody that you know well and love, then you are very aware why they changed their name, and so that that creates a different dynamic. But yeah, good point. Okay. We should end. I think people want to come in. So thank you all for being here. Uh, we had a question, another question about heaven next week, and then another question about um, Baptist denominations, and we'll probably get into denominations in general and why they exist and what they're here for. So thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.